We got big news in the bond market today. Treasury yields are plummeting. Let's check out the 10-year Treasury yield. We'll head over to CNBC, and we're going to start at the 10-year Treasury yield. But we've got a lot to talk about. We've got to talk about what's happening with the two-year, and then we've got to think through this, understanding that the government is going to issue a massive amount of supply, huge deficits. If we go into a recession, that means the deficits are going to increase, and the supply of treasuries is going to continue to grow. So why on earth do we have yields going down? We've got to recognize that the market, the treasury market, is one of the largest markets. It might be the largest market in the entire world, maybe the FX market, but it's incredibly sophisticated as far as the participants that make up this market. So are you going to tell me that the participants that are out there buying the long end of the curve right now, to the extent to which we see it crash today, crash over the last few days, but especially today, look at this. It's down six basis points. That's a huge move for the 10-year treasury. And not to mention the fact that it's down, what, over 12, 15 basis points just over the last couple days. But you are going to tell me that these people don't know that we're likely going to see more supply of treasury, a massive amount of treasuries come online in 2024? Of course they do. And it's already priced into the market. And even with this deluge, this tsunami of treasury supply that we'll likely see in 2024, the market is still buying to the point where the prices are going up and up and up, yields going down, down, down. Why would they do this? Why would anyone in their right mind buy a 10-year treasury right now when they know that Joe Biden is going to spend money like a drunken sailor? Especially if we go into a recession, that means your drunk, insolvent Uncle Sam is going to turn on the fire hose, baby. <laughs> They're going to make it rain as far as dollars coming down from the sky. They're going to have to borrow a ton of money to do that. That means issue just an astronomical amount of treasuries. So again, I ask the question, why would anyone in their right mind buy a treasury under that condition? There's only one reason. Because you look at growth and inflation expectations being much, much lower moving into 2024. Well, why would that happen? Because we're going into an economic recession. So in a weird way that if we go into recession and supply increases, which I absolutely would agree, that's definitely my base case. But oddly enough, demand is going to increase at the same rate or it will likely increase at the same rate. And if history is a teacher, demand will actually exceed the amount of supply. And what's interesting, if we look at a chart, going to bounce around here a little bit, a chart of debt to GDP. So as you would expect, going back to the GFC, it goes up massively when we have a recession. I mean, look at what it did during the Cerveza sickness. Unbelievable. We went from 105% up to 132 within the matter, within the matter of a, a quarter or so. But now it's not that it's a good thing, but because of inflation, it's back down to 119%. But you see, during this time frame, what happened to the 10-year treasury? Well, you say, George, well, it increased. Well, yeah, it did. But what did it do relative to Fed funds? What did it do relative to the short end of the curve? It went down. 
to the point now where the delta between the two-year and the 10-year, about 40 or 50 basis points. So you see a lot of people and where the market's really off sides, I believe, and why I think that Wall Street's going to get a huge rug pull is because they are looking at the the price action in the 10-year treasury and assuming that that's a result of, well, the Fed's just going to drop rates because they've got a control on inflation, as if interest rates are all about the Fed. But if you just take a moment and exclude the Fed from the equation and you ask yourself that why else would interest rates be going down? Ah, it's because the bond market is predicting a recession, future growth, inflation expectations plummeting, therefore yields plummeting. And then you bring the Fed back into the equation and you kind of have this epiphany moment. You're like, aha, maybe the bond market isn't responding to the Fed. Maybe the bond market is responding to the economy for they're predicting what the Fed is going to do in response to the stuff hitting the fan. So they've got it in reverse order. They think everything starts with the Fed when in reality, everything starts with the economy. Oh, but wait, there is a lot more because I want to show you this video clip from CNBC, which is actually quite good, <laughs> believe it or not. <laughs> Let's go ahead and play this clip from this gal. Amy is her name, Amy Patrick. And uh, she is live from, well, not live now, but she was live on CNBC from Sydney. And she makes some great points. And then the talking head the 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 CB, CNBC anchor guy actually makes some good counterpoints and they go back and forth. So let's listen to this because I think we're going to be able to gain some really good insights. On duration, but still, I am not ready to go sort of all out and 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 push that duration lever for my portfolios. And by the way, when she talks about duration, she's talking about the long end of the curve. And it, it's really two pronged. One is, I think, you know, the the near term tailwinds behind duration really came from the fact that. For all that we feared about the immense treasury supply that was going to hit the markets and potentially no demand from all your traditional buyers, you know, all it took was a little bit of data to anchor us back in the fundamentals again. And the fundamentals for me has always been, and I think we've talked about this several times, this theme of disinflation that I think will continue to play through. And, all and by the way, when she's talking about disinflation, she's talking about recession. She's talking about Irving Fisher, the exact same stuff I was talking to Snyder about the other day where long-term interest rates are all about growth and inflation expectations. So in the, the way she says it, she says disinflation, I would say that I would say recession, therefore the market's predicting a recession and therefore demand for safe assets at the long end of the curve going up, prices uh, excuse me, yields going down even in the face of a tsunami of supply. I don't think anyone's disputing that. But what she's pointing out, the fact that regardless of supply, the demand going into a recession, if history is a teacher, tells us that, that demand always trumps the additional supply. All through 2024. But this lack of demand for treasuries really is just about how good the economic environment is. And this Goldilocks scenario is probably going to play on for a little bit longer. Okay, let's, let's break that down because she makes another good point. So she says lack of demand is about what? Is it about supply? Is it about that they're, no, no, no. She's pointing out that the lack of the demand most likely would mean that the market is predicting higher growth and inflation expectations. In other words, the market is predicting a soft landing. The market's predicting a hard landing, or excuse me, no landing. So if the market's predicting high, no landing or soft landing, 
you would expect yields to go up because there's less demand regardless of the supply. She's she's saying that the demand usually is going to outweigh the supply side dynamics on both ends, right? So now that we see yields coming back, so we see yields go up, that means market is predicting no landing, soft landing, or that's where they're positioning themselves. When we see yields go down, and I would say, I would argue the market, the market never got to that point because the curve was never uninverted, but that's a topic for a separate video. But now the market's taking yields back down, predicting that we have a hard landing, meaning they're looking out into the future, seeing growth inflation expectations decline massively. So they're buying that long into the curve, regardless of the supply side dynamics that everyone talks about. You know, into the the end of 2023 and probably early 2024 as well. And that's why I'm not ready to go all out on duration yet. But I'm definitely getting more constructive. I've probably been getting even more constructive on the front end because the Fed is running out of reasons to get incrementally more hawkish as more of the data come, comes through. So I do think that when you see the data start to continually soften and it's no longer about benign disinflation, you will get the demand come through because when you... Hear that, guys? It's no longer about benign disinflation. You see, she, she's being very subtle here because I think she's trying to be politically correct. But what she's saying there is that currently uh, the data is coming in that would suggest that we're not going to have benign disinflation. So let me translate that for you. She's saying that currently the data is showing that we're going to have a hard landing, <laughs> if not a crash landing. And then when the Fed realizes this or admits this, then they're going to start dropping the front end, which is where we see that bear, that bull steepener that we always see prior to the stuff hitting the fan. You need havens. The demand always comes through for treasuries. But is it safe to operate under that expectation? Because I, I completely take your point when we're talking about, you know, that, that safe haven buying and, you know, if everything goes to hell in a handbasket. But do you think that that would then incentivize a more normal profile when we're talking about further issuance? Because I cannot fathom a situation where we don't have issuance continually growing considering the fiscal side of the ledger over there in the states and the fact that they've almost been gaming the system to avoid and this is a great point he's he's talking about this narrative that we we have heard for the last few months which is absolutely accurate that your drunk insolvent uncle sam is going to run the deficit to infinity and beyond in 2024 especially if we have a recession uh duration to that effect so in, with, with that in mind, are we, are we thinking that duration comes in and comes in tight or, you know, at around about the four level? I think that when you look across all of history, when you just focus on the supply side of the equation, supply rarely goes hand in hand with yields, right? So what you're arguing basically is when there is a surge in supply, yields should go up because assuming demand stays constant. But quite frankly, supply usually only goes up because the economy needs more fiscal stimulus. And now look, going into 2024, I'm not saying that, you know, if the economy needs more fiscal stimulus. That means that we're in a recession is what she's saying. Typically in an election year, you're not going to get some massive reining back of fiscal spending. That's for sure. But the fiscal pulse relative to what we've seen over the last two quarters 
is decelerating for the US. And for me, that's it's it's the change, it's the delta that matters for um, you know, this demand supply dynamic. And net supply alone is never enough to determine forever the trajectory of bond yields. So okay, so let's just kind of call her out on that, or let's just fact check her. Hey guys, I want to remind you to check out Rebel Capitalist Pro. This is the incredible online investment forum that I have with investment experts, Lynn Alden and Chris McIntosh. It includes professionals such as Patrick Serezna from Macro Voices. He specializes in options, Jason Hartman, real estate, and Brent Johnson with Macro Economics. If you want to build wealth and thrive in this world of out-of-control central banks and big governments, Rebel Capitalist Pro is the resource you need. So check it out today at georgegammon.com forward slash pro. That's georgegammon.com forward slash pro. We'll see you inside with the fellow Rebel Capitalists that are taking their investing to the next level. Did yields go up or down when we had this recession and the debt to GDP in the, my goodness gracious, 60%. Back in the good old days, <laughs> debt to GDP was only 60%. Holy cow. Yes. In the United States, in our recent history, but debt to GDP went from 62%, let's say straight up to kind of plateaued here at a hundred. So did the, so this is, let's say 2008 to 2014. Now let's go ahead and look at the 10-year treasury yield during that time. So 2008, we were right around, let's just call it 2.2% roughly. And 2014, 2%, under 2%. So you see January 2015, under 2%. And again, just as a reference here. So from 2008, we went from roughly 2 point, we'll just call it 22 2014, 2015, we were roughly 1.9. Okay, so the yield on the 10-year treasury went down by, let's just call it 30 basis points. But debt to GDP went from 60% up to 100% in the exact same time frame. So to this gal's point, at least during the GFC, demand far outweighed the supply as far as trying to predict what's going to happen to the price or the yield of that 10-year treasury. Let's look at the Cervasa sickness. We go into the Cervasa sickness at around, let's say, 105. And now we, now this is interesting because this is going to be a, uh, the, the Fed is, actually, how could we do this? Let's, let's actually look at when, that's going to be tough because we have such a huge rate hiking cycle but what I would point to there is the delta between Fed funds and the 10-year treasury itself. So Fed funds, just to remind you, is right around 5.25%, where right now we see the 10-year treasury yield crashing to call it 4.34%. So almost 100 basis points lower. So the way I see it, demand for treasuries is much, much higher today, the demand for the 10-year treasury is much, much higher today than it was even prior to the Cervasa sickness, even though the yields are slightly higher because the yields on the front end 
are are up by let's say five percent, where the yields at the long end are only up by four point three percent. So since we have that let's say hundred basis point inversion, uh, we did not have a hundred basis point inversion going into the Cervasa sickness. Uh, it was inverted, but it wasn't inverted to that degree, which tells me again that the uh, demand has increased all else being equal. Now let's go to, let's see the problem is, or I guess it's not really a problem, but we really didn't do that too much. Actually, let's look at this time frame. from 1990. We were at about 50% debt to GDP Q1. And then 1995, we go up to 65. So that would have been, again, a, a ton of issuance. Not as much as we had during the GFC, mind you, but still a ton of issuance. And you know what? As I'm thinking this through, when we are looking at 2008, I think you could argue that interest rates were, I'd have to look, let's look at Fed fund. I don't want to skip around too much here, but let's just assume for a moment that interest rates were not yet at zero. So that could argue the Fed dropping rates could um, impact the long end of the curve. But if we fast forward to 2009, rates were definitely zero then. And we still went from 80, call it, to uh, 102 when the 10-year Treasury yield uh, barely went up. And another thing that's interesting, too, is uh, this is during the time when the Federal Reserve was doing quantitative easing, which is another variable. Because you would think that the quantitative easing would lower interest rates, and it actually increased interest rates. So, but I think the main takeaway here is you would expect when debt to GDP goes up by this much, or even by as much as we saw in the 1990s, that the yields would skyrocket. The price would go down because this tsunami of supply was outweighing demand if demand was constant. This is the gal's point. So let's just fact check one more thing here before we move on. And look at the 10-year Treasury yield, 1990, and compare that to the 10-year Treasury yield in, call it, 1995. So going back to CNBC, 10-year Treasury yield, um, let's see, uh, let's just call it 8.4, 8.5. And then 1995, and we got all the way down to 6.2. So this really backs up what the gal was saying, is that... Uh, yields continue to go down. And I guess, you know, there would be another argument that even if the Fed is dropping rates, you could argue that they're dropping rates, like what we said at the beginning, not because the Fed uh, controls rates, but they're only responding to what's happen happening in the economy. And then yields are therefore also responding to what's in the economy and not necessarily what the Fed is doing. So why does this happen? Let's go over another chart. And this is very recent. So most of you remember when we had the debt ceiling. And remember, Janet Yellen was drawing down the TGA and everyone was freaking out because the TGA was getting down to roughly $40 billion and what were we going to do, how we're going to pay the bills, yada, yada, yada. And then once the debt ceiling was raised or once that issue was resolved, then everyone's like, oh my gosh, the amount of liquidity, then the, the interest rates are, are going to skyrocket and blah, 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 blah. This is what you heard because everyone knew that Janet Yellen wanted to take the TGA back up to, let's call it $600, $700 billion. And she's doing this at the same time when the government is running all of these deficits. So that was the argument. That, that was the, the narrative back then. But I argued many, many times on these videos and on whiteboard videos that this was a, a nothing burger. 
Because sure, Janet Yellen was going to fill the TGF. She's going to issue massive amounts of bills. But the bills at this time were trading way under reverse repo, which is the kind of the floor that the Fed tries to set on those short-term interest rates. And we had 2.2, trillion in, um, in the uh, reverse repo account with the Fed. So I argued that, sure, rates might go up to a certain point, but once they get to a point where they're over reverse repo, all that money is going to flow from the reverse repo into uh, the T-bill market because they can get a slightly higher interest rate, and that's going to put a cap on rates. And that's exactly what we saw. So we saw issuance go up massively, filling up the TGA along with the deficits. And at the same time, we see the reverse repo account at the Fed being drawn down. I mean, it was at right around 2 point, uh, call it 3 trillion. And now we're all the way down to 865. Uh, I, yes, 865 billion. And so let's go to a quick chart of the one month treasury. And we can see that just before the debt ceiling uh, was resolved, interest rates were extremely low, way under Fed funds. And then they skyrocketed way up to a point. But then all of a sudden, all those money market fund managers saw what they were earning in reverse repo, which was, let's just say, for the sake of this example, 5%. And then they saw the yield on the one-month treasury go up to 5.25%. And like, hey, let's just transit. Let's just roll the money from the reverse repo account over into treasuries because we can get a 25, uh, let's say 25 extra basis points. And then what happened? Then that kind of puts a cap to where we are now, where you just have this flat line. So my point there is that let's just say that supply did outweigh demand temporarily in 2024. I think we'd get to a point where the yields go up to a level where the risk reward makes so much sense that it's going to draw capital in away from other asset classes that will put, I don't want to say put a cap, but will bring the uh, rates back down or prevent rates from going to 8, 9, 10, 12% uh, because of what the gal was saying about growth and inflation expectation going all the way back to Jeff Snyder, then all the way back to Newt Wixel and Irving Fisher in the 1930s. That's what the long end of the curve is all about. So again, we we will definitely have a deluge, (laughs) a tsunami of supply. But even if that overwhelms demand temporarily, the rates will go up to a level where the risk reward makes sense. It'll suck capital from other areas and that'll prevent the yields from going that much higher. And I would argue it would prevent the yields from uh, uninverting due to a bear steepener and we'll still get the uninversion from that bull steepener, in which case the demand will outweigh uh, those supply dynamics that might be skewed to the side of supply. But lastly, I want to remind everyone that when I discuss these things, I am not making predictions. I am only walking you guys through my thoughts and I'm trying to point out risks. But at the end of the day, we have to understand that there are no certainties. There are only probabilities. So could we see this tsunami of supply take rates up to 10, 12, 15%? Absolutely. That is definitely above a 0% probability, but it's just not my base case. All right, guys, enjoy the rest of your afternoon. As always, make sure that you're standing up for freedom, liberty, free market capitalism. We'll see you in the next video.